You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm happy to share with you God's Word today. And uh, I have some good news for you. Today's sermon is not about you. Now, you might be uh, a little confused. Maybe you're thinking, oh, no, I came to hear something about me today. Or maybe you're uh, a little let down because you're thinking, I could use a real pick-me-up. Or maybe you're feeling like you're off the hook. (laughs) Oh, it's not about me. It's probably about the person next to me. The reality is none of this. These tables, this music, none of this is really about us, is it? It's not about you and me, and, and, and the reality is today's world, the world around us, our Western society wants to make everything about us, about ourselves. We have, uh, we have a world that wants to talk about ourselves so much, marketing and leadership. All of, Western, I, all of Western thought is really about the individual self. If there is a way to get rid of the floor monitors, that'd be awesome. Um, we have these little sticks that we put our phones on. Selfie sticks, so we could take a picture of ourself. We have uh, whole sections of libraries and bookstores with self-help books. We have millions of videos and classes for you to learn how to do things yourself. And then we also have um, people who spend lots of money or, or travel to go and find their selves. And when the reality is when you live in a world where everything is about yourself, what do you think happens? We end up being selfish. We make everything about ourselves. It may seem strange to you, and it's definitely countercultural, but the good news is this is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. The pivotal verse from today's passage says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 12, 1. If you don't have a Bible today, we do have some Bibles available for you. We want you to take one home. It's yours. If you don't have a Bible, take it. Read it. The the best gift we can offer you in, in physical form today is a Bible, the best word. Well, if you're with me in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, let's read. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are some things. Oh, sorry, no. Are all things. And to him be glory forever. Amen. Continuing on to 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's been 11 chapters leading up to this passage, and Paul has been sharing incredible theological truths, pivotal theological truths. He has shared with uh, the people in Rome, the, the church in Rome, And he's been sharing with them about man's sin, man's fallen nature, and how sin 
how all of mankind is onto the trajectory toward hell because our sin damns us. Our sin separates us from God. And then he tells of this Jesus, God in the flesh. The same God of Isaac and Jacob decided to come to the world as a man. And he lived a perfect life, a flawless life. And he fulfilled the Old Testament law. And he did all this not simply as an example to follow, as a person worth imitating, but to qualify himself. He lived a perfect life to qualify himself as a man that can represent all of humanity before God. He lived this perfectly righteous life so that he would be qualified to pay for our sins, for our damnation. And then because of that, we are justified before God. And Paul does a great job of explaining this. And and what it means is you and I have a right standing before God because of the price that Jesus paid. We have become children of God by putting our faith in Jesus. And then Paul takes a step back at the redemptive story of God. And he speaks about Adam and how all of sin came through Adam. and And then how all of sin has been dealt with through Jesus, through Israel, and now including the whole world, the whole world has an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus and find salvation. And as Paul is walking through these chapters, as Paul is doing, making his argument, making his case, he actually does something throughout the whole thing. He asks these questions. And these questions, he actually poses so many of them from the perspective of of the opposing counsel, from the perspective of someone who disagrees with him. Well, he, he does these questions, and every single question, really, so many of these questions can be so summarized under this idea of, what about me? What about my perspective on this? What about my experience? What about what I think is fair? And Paul points everything back to Jesus, and he basically makes it very clear that it's not about you. In our worship, it's not about you. That's why when we get to today's passage, Paul gets caught up. That's why he can't even continue on without going, oh, the depths of the knowledge and the riches and the wisdom of God. The first way we're going to find true joy in worship, the way that our worship will, will be unwavering, is by worshiping to the point where our ego goes away, where our self, our focus on self goes away. We need to worship our whole self away. And this word, oh, it's not a surprised oh. He's not going, oh. He's not, he's not being passive aggressive, oh. It's a guttural punch to the gut. It's, it's oh. Well, that really went out there. <laughs> it's the kind of thing when you turn and you're driving through. I, my wife and family, we went and we drove through to Radium Hot Springs um, not too long ago. And, uh, and when you turn some of those turns and you just see the majesty of the mountains, you see the wonders of them, you just can't help but kind of lose your breath or scream out in oh. But my kids were sleeping, so I didn't scream out. Quiet car ride is a nice thing. <laughs> it's, it's this worship, this oh sound, it's the overwhelming pressure of God's mercies and God's qualities hitting us so hard that a guttural sound of ego-killing amazement comes out, and it's oh, church, We need to be caught up in worship of God and let the pressure of his majesty and his power push us to the point of turning away from our focus on ourselves and put our focus on him. If you want to talk about depths and pressure, I looked this up because I don't know these things, and that's what Google is for. Uh, The Challenger Deep is the deepest part of the ocean. 
You may have heard of the Marianas Trench. Well, the Challenger Deep is the lowest part, the deepest part of the Marianas Trench. And the Challenger Deep is about 36,200 feet deep. For some perspective, that's about 20 CN towers stacked on top of each other deep. I just talked about CN towers. I'm from Ontario. Please <laughs> forgive me. Okay? Um, it's about 37 Knox Mountains stacked on top of each other. That's what it is, okay? Um, at the bottom, as you swim to lower and lower into the depths of water, pressure builds up. And the type of pressure that's at the bottom of the Challenger Deep is 15,000 pounds of pressure. If you want to know what that's like, again, Google answered for me, uh, that's the same weight as having 120 school buses sitting on your chest. It's the type of pressure that would literally squeeze the life out of you. And even then, it still has nothing on the majesty and the beauty and the wonder and the power of our God. The pressure of looking on the wonder of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, it squeezes out an oh. And I invite you, if your worship and if the God you worship isn't squeezing out an O in you, isn't squeezing you with the pressure of his majesty. I'm inviting you to go with me, to get out of the kiddie pool and go into the depths of the riches and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Because the reality is, some of, so many of us are not really in pursuit of God, in the pursuit of knowing and loving God, and we do this. I, I do this myself. Sometimes when I'm looking for theology, what do I look for actually is I'm actually more looking for meology, looking for stuff about me. If you're searching the scriptures, you're looking for a religion that has something to do with you, that's all about you, you're looking for meology. If you're choosing a church with the type of preaching that pleases you, kids ministry that pleases you, worship music that pleases you, you and I we all struggle with a meology and not a theology. Because real theology, real love and worship of the true God is not concerned with what preaching pleases me. It's concerned with what preaching pleases God. It's concerned with not what kids ministry and worship pleases me, but what pleases God. It's not what I like. and It's not what you like. It's about what he is pleased by. It, it kind of reminds me sometimes when, uh, when we're worshiping and when I'm worshiping and I realize I'm not I'm not singing for him I'm singing for my own self it reminds me of taking a FaceTime call FaceTime or Zoom we've all had to become very familiar with these and when you do this there's always the giant photo of the person you're talking to but just in the corner there's a little photo of you isn't there little imagery a little camera view of yourself and you've been on those conversations where you can tell they're not even looking at you <laughs> They're just looking at themselves. If somebody is literally on FaceTime going like this, fixing their hair, you know, doing their makeup, you know they're not looking at the photo of you, they're looking at the photo of themselves. Sometimes that's how we worship. And you know what, I, I've, I, I've seen lots of jokes and I've made jokes about people who don't know how to hold their phone properly so you can't see them. You know, typically it's like, you know, our grandma or someone like that. And you're, sorry, I know there's a lot of grandmas out there that know how to do this properly. I'm just saying, sometimes it happens. And you can't see them. It's not always the net best angle. And so we, we think we're so smart and we make fun of them as, you know. Don't make fun of them. You know why they do it that way? 
because it's the best angle that they can see you. Because it's not about them. They're just picking up the phone to look at who they love and put their eyes on them. Sometimes that angle is down here, right? Sometimes that angle is here. We need to be the kind of people that put our lives in the angle and the posture that fixes our eyes on Jesus, fixes our eyes on God, and not looking at, where's the little picture of me? You see, it's good news that it's not about you because you'll only be able to enjoy God more when you're out of the way. Let the depths of God's mercies and qualities squeeze out your selfishness. Let it squeeze out your insecurities. Let it squeeze out your fears and your guilt. Let it overwhelm you. Let it pressure you with a joy that's overflowing into a guttural sound of, oh, the depths. And by the way, this is not a worship of the splendor of the cosmos. We're not, I'm not talking about a worship of the detail in creation. These, are, these things matter. Paul isn't giving us these qualities of the depth of the riches and the wisdom because he wants us to focus on the riches or the wisdom and the knowledge. It's not the qualities that matter. It's the person these qualities are tied to. We are to direct and focus our worship to the one he is describing. It's all about Jesus. We are not to get lost in the wonders of the world. We are to focus our heart on the maker of the wonders. We don't say thank you at Christmas or in, at birthdays for the gift. We, we don't say thank you to the gift. Thank you, gift. You're so wonderful. No, we look at the person who gave the gift. And so in these 11 chapters leading up to this, Paul has continually pointed back to the person of Jesus Christ, his majesty, his, his amazing beauty, and his wonderful acts of love. So we need to reread through that lens. Rather than putting ourselves in scripture, we need to see through the lens of understanding that this is about Jesus. For, just look at verse 36 with me. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Let's read it, understanding that it's saying, for from Jesus and through Jesus, and to Jesus are all things, and to Jesus be the glory forever. Amen. It's all about him. Now, even if today you don't believe in Jesus as God today, maybe you're just exploring and you're looking into this. Let's look at some of the cold, hard facts of the, what the world knows. Jesus is the center point of human history. The center point of human history. Not too long ago, we used to call it B.C. and A.D. And I, I was always told it's just easier to remember it if you remember it as before Christ and after his death. <laughs> and that was the way I understood because it was true that all of time is measured around Jesus. Well, stop him for a second, even continue to think about even the significance of the influence he had. The story of his life and death and the story of his resurrection turned and converted Thousands of Jews and Gentiles, like that. I don't know if I can snap and get it on the microphone. Like that, so quickly, people had abandoned the religion of their whole lives that had been held for thousands of years. There has been no cultural shift in the history of humankind like the one that happened after Christ resurrected. It made fishermen and tax collectors into holy apostles, and it made secondhand witnesses into martyrs. I would say it's harder to believe that he was only a man than it is to believe that he was the Son of God. 
No one, no man has anything on Jesus. You look at the Old Testament, which is the shared holy scriptures of Judaism and Islam often and in many ways in Christianity, and Jesus is the fulfilled promise of those scriptures. He is the Messiah foretold for years. He is the pinnacle climax of God's redemptive story, and it's all coming to an end one day when Jesus returns and he sits down and he will be worshipped forever. Yes, we need to be careful about worshiping ourselves because it's not about you or me, but then we need to be intentional about placing our worship on him, not on created things, not on worldly items, idols. This passage in verse 33, look with me, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, inscrutable are his ways. By these categories, by these categories of riches, wisdom, knowledge, justice, and ways, See, how do we worship? What do we worship? Where do we look to for hope, resource? What do we boast in when it comes to riches, when it comes to wisdom and knowledge and justice and ways? If an audit of your life, if an audit of my life was done by these categories, to what do I attribute the source of these good things? The world has a lineup of options for us to consider, to put our hope and trust in something else that isn't Jesus. It's a really beautiful day out today, and, uh, and, the, and the Okanagan is a wonderful place to live. We live in a pretty proud town here in the Okanagan. We're proud of our extravagance, of our, our restaurants, our progress, proud of our, our weather, proud of our beautiful views and our, our industry. It's a very proud town, but let's be honest, pride is kind of our downfall, too. Here in this modern, advanced little town, there's a solution for everything you could ever need. You want to talk about riches? From the perspective of riches, you can find some of the most incredibly wealthy and extravagantly well-off friends here. From the perspective of knowledge, we have some amazing professors and amazing classes and amazing schools, amazing opportunities to learn and study. Or what about wisdom? Our city is at the forefront of every health trend, of every lifestyle guru. We have so many church options that you can scratch any Christian religious itch you have. Go here for worship, go here for preaching, go here for kids, or justice. Every day there's an opportunity for you to rally, protest, fundraise, or raise awareness we have a, a deep sense of justice here. And the way some people and some of us speak about the Okanagan, you would think that we were saying for from the Okanagan and to the Okanagan and through the Okanagan are all things. And you know what? These are fine and nice luxuries. And these are okay to enjoy to a degree. But the reality is Satan has given those to distract us. These things, they distract us. They keep our eyes off of the true one that needs the worship because you know what? Satan is not really that interested in you worshiping him. He's more interested in you not worshiping Jesus. So let's look again from those perspectives, from an audit of, of these riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. What can we say about Jesus? Well, when it comes to Jesus, and riches, 
Jesus is the most extravagantly wealthy friend you could ever have. He has all the riches of heaven available to him. And with him as your provider, it means that the money of this world should have no hold on us. When it comes to knowledge, Jesus and his word is the most important knowledge you and I could ever know. His gospel is the best thing you could ever bring into any conversation. You, you, if you share the gospel with people, you have just shared the most pivotal, life-changing truth in all of history. It's the only truth that saves people from their sins. That's why Paul can say he brought to know nothing but, the, but Jesus Christ crucified. It's good news. When it comes to wisdom, Jesus and his gospel is the best wisdom you can have for the trickiest of life moments. As I was looking at this and thinking about the wisdom, <clears throat> I, I was confronted with the reality of, of my own sinfulness. Because I'm a man that struggles with a heart of anger. I can clench my fist faster than a speeding bullet. And the hardest moments in my life have, have, have been when something wrong has been done against me, some injustice, something unfair. I can get so angry so quickly. I can just, I could light a fuse. But the wisdom of the gospel, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, is that he looks on this angry man. He looks on me, and he looks at all the times that I will clench my fist. He looks at all the times that I will lose my cool. And he says, I love you, and I will die for you. And I will forgive you. And... <clears throat> and knowing how much Christ has forgiven me is the only thing that really unclenches my fist in those hardest of moments. Because if he can forgive me of my sinfulness and all the stuff that I've heaped on him, finally I can have the power to forgive someone else. I can't find that in myself. I won't find that in a self-help book. I can only find that in Christ and knowing what he's done for me. And when it comes to justice, Jesus Christ is the most clarifying demonstration of justice in all of history. I, 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 in an apologetics class, they taught us that he was, when you think about it, Jesus was the most innocent of persons in all of history. The most innocent of persons in all of history. No wrong done at all. Yet, he was found guilty, unjustly, found guilty before man. And then, even further, treated as guilty before God. You see, the most innocent of persons in all of history was treated with the most guiltiest of crimes. And when, when hard things happen and unfair things happen, what I can remember is this, that the most innocent of persons was treated with the guiltiest of crimes and it brought about the greatest good in all of history. See, we can trust God in his justice. We can trust God in his ways. 
For from Jesus and through Jesus and to Jesus are all things, and to Jesus be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Focusing our worship solely on him is the most satisfying way to live because he spent his whole life in ministry making a kingdom of God for us, the weak, the broken, the helpless, the sinner. So I already said it's a beautiful day out. I wish I could stand just about here. There we go. The sun's on me. I'm a little warmer now. The shade is way cooler. I've noticed that out here. The sun is beautiful. It, it brings out warmth. It lights up our day. It brings life to our plants and our trees, and, and it, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And even when the sun is gone, we have the moon, and when we look at the moon, it's a great thing. But you know what? We wouldn't see the moon if it weren't for the sun. You see, if we, don't, if we focus on all the localized benefits of the plants and the warmth and the light and even the moon... We might miss out on the source of its radiance, the source. And by the way, the real source isn't even the sun, that flaming ball of gas up there. The real source is our God. What I love is, is how my wife, uh, um, she's been teaching our kids this, that when they go outside and they see the sun, we say, thank you, God. I just love hearing their little voices see the sun and say and give glory to him for it. So in light, of, in light of how important Jesus is, in light of the fact that he is the focus of our worship, in light of the fact that it's not about us, how are we to live? What are we to do? Well, that's why we're at 12 verse 1. That's why we're going there. Because in light of this, we are to present our bodies as the living sacrifices. Unwavering worship needs to show that he's worthy of it all, worthy of our whole lives. Since he is the image of God, since Jesus is the manifest physical presence of God in human flesh, God invites us to worship him with our physical bodies. And so he describes it as a living sacrifice, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this word, living sacrifice, it's, it's the same way of basically saying a living dying. And he's not saying that we all need to become martyrs and go die for Jesus. That's not the point. He's saying... Spend your life, spend your life dying for Jesus. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. The language in here alludes back to the Old Testament animal sacrifices, which, which had to be presented as holy or without blemish. And we are to keep ourselves from sin. We are to dedicate our whole service to his service. And church... Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is an important ministry, especially here in the Okanagan. The theology and what we believe and do with our bodies matters here because we live in a place that worships the body. It worships getting the body either as high as possible, worships getting the body as healthy as possible, or it worships getting the body as hot as possible. And what scripture tells us is we are to try and focus and give our lives to presenting them as holy as possible. And that's hard in this world because this world has a lot of ways and a lot of opinions and a lot of offerings, a lot of marketing on what you should do with your body. But God created your body. God created my body. We need to know that he has a better plan for its use than the world does. 
And presenting our bodies as holy, it means recognizing that when God made Adam, man's physical body, it was, it was good. Our bodies were good. But the entrance of sin, it ruined that goodness of our human body. Our physical bodies are now fallen and they're susceptible to disease and susceptible to allergies and pain. And who's getting out? It's allergy season. Yeah. That's because of the brokenness of our body. And we have pain and we have sickness. And then our bodies, even then, they become, as the world word talks about it, our flesh is a source of temptation. We're tempted to sexual immorality, to insecurities, intoxication. We're tempted to addiction and gluttony and vanity. And the list goes on. Our body, which was meant to be something glorious for God's name, has now become a temptation for us to sin. And then, beyond that, for those of us who are dealing with health difficulties, ailments, for couples who want to get pregnant but can't, for worshipers who want to stand in worship but can't, for want to lift their hands but can't, want to come and gather with the church but can't, then our, our bodies become a source of a struggle with hopelessness. Our bodies become a source of a struggle because they are frail and they don't work as, they, as we hoped. We don't offer our bodies as a sacrifice because they, they're perfectly toned. And some of you are like, hallelujah. <laughs> you know? We don't offer our bodies because they're perfectly in tune. We offer them like Christ did. We endure the trials of this world. We face the real world and we face it with sobriety, and we worship by treating our bodies and the use of them as sacred. My kids are young. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an eight-month-old. And, uh, and when they do art and drawing, it's, it looks like it's been done by a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an eight-month-old. It's, uh, it's, it's not incredibly... Um, it might not be beautiful and, and put in the Louvre. It might not be put in the art gallery, but it's beautiful to me. It's beautiful because they've given it to me as a sacrifice. They've offered it to me. There's juice stains. There's pieces ripped off. But they do it because they love me. And it's the best they could do with the materials they have. Let's offer Christ our bodies in the same way. Maybe a few juice stains, a few pieces ripped off, but offering it in love. And so we worship by fighting temptation and abstaining from immorality. We endure through sicknesses. Because we cling to the worth of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died a physical death to show your worth. So how will we live our physical lives to show his worth to him? And I'm going to invite the band up now um, to, to come and lead us in worship. But before we sing, just, this world really wants us to make things about us. And, that, and, and sadly, that's invaded how the church worships even, how we have our relationship with God. In this self-focused world, we need to offer a worship, an unwavering worship that isn't individualistic. Our worship needs to be corporate, together. Unwavering worship is carried in community. You and I can't get our eyes off ourselves. We can't put our eyes on Jesus. We can't offer our bodies as living sacrifices in isolation. We are not to be isolated. We need community. That's why the scripture has dozens and dozens of verses addressing the one another's love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, admonish one another, forgive. It can keep going on. 
And so we need to come together. In this, in this way, we need to come together to lift each other up, to bear each other's burdens, and to worship God together. A lot of people have been focusing on Hebrews 10, 25, and about gathering together, but that verse before it, it says that we are to spur each other on. Spur each other on to love and good works. We are to spur each other on in our singing and in our worship, in our, in our groups. You can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. And you shouldn't do it alone. Come. Come to church. Come to groups. Go and be in relationships, discipleship relationships, where you can have an unwavering worship of God by being together, getting our eyes off ourselves, putting our eyes on Jesus Christ, and offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Oh, the depths of the knowledge and the riches and the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory. Let's continue to give him glory in our praises, in our singing. Let me pray, and then we will sing. Lord, there's so many ways in which we have been staring at ourselves in worship. There's so many ways in which we have given glory to others. But it's you who gives us life. It's you who gives us breath. It's you who, who deserves the glory. It's you who deserves the worship and honor. So we offer and pour out our praise on you. Amen.